a Podcast One production. Hi, and welcome to A Plate to Call Home, conversations with fascinating people all centred around food. My name's Gary Megan, and I love everything there is about food. In fact, I'm obsessed about food. Today on the show, we speak to a man who loves his smoked meats. His name's Lance Rosen from Big Boy Barbecue, and Lance has got an interesting story. He spent 20 years as a chef, but hadn't really discovered his true passion. And that passion was ignited when he took a road trip around the United States with his family and he discovered barbecue and the smokehouse. He's won loads of awards for his smoked meats. He's written a best-selling book called Temples of Barbecue, documenting his travels around the US with his family and sharing his knowledge of every pit and smokehouse from Alabama to New York City. Lance is a true foodie who loves every aspect of barbecue and you've got to respect his dedication. This one's sure to get your mouth watering, so take a listen. I discovered barbecue. My brother-in-law moved to America right. and um, Where, went, is in, in New York. Okay. And we went to go visit. He was supposed to be there for a year or a year and a half and he's been there, I don't know, maybe 14 years now or 13 years. But we went out there and... On our last night, he was like, I will take you out for dinner. So he's going, we're going to uh, the Chelsea Hotel, and I'm a big Bob Dylan fan and Janis Joplin, and they used to do a lot of their writing at the Chelsea Hotel. So I'm, I'm, really, I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm going to the Chelsea Hotel. It's, it's obviously in Chelsea. And we go to this dodgy place. I mean, there's a sports bar at the front, like three or four TVs, and it's mainly a bar, and it's pumping blues music. It's really going, and you walk out the back, and there's this little restaurant wouldn't even call it a restaurant. It was just like rickety tables and toilet door that didn't lock. And I'm just like, well, you know, why have you brought us here? You know, like yeah. really, like this is my last night in New York, and this is where you've brought me. And I was pretty, yeah. I was pretty put out actually <laughs> until they um until they brought this platter of food, and we ordered. There were eight of us, and we ordered a platter called the Baron. Um, and they put down this platter of smoked meats that my, my jaw just hit the ground. I was I was absolutely gobsmacked. I'd I'm just looking at it drooling, going, what the hell? I mean, it had ham and it had turkey and it had ribs, pulled pork, brisket, sausage links, pickles on top of it and bread underneath. And it was just, I was just blown away by that. And never mind the size, just the smell and the, the fresh looking meats, you know, yeah. and the selection for a group of people. And it fed eight of us and there would have been enough there for another two or three people. But wow. When you say the smell, what is it? What is it? Well, you're smelling meat, and you're smelling meat that has been flavoured and seasoned with smoke. Um, and barbecue in America wasn't very popular until the last five or six years as well. I right. mean, it never. I mean, it was there, but it never really expanded the way it has in the last five or six years. So, yeah. um, I'd re- heard about barbecue before that. I'd read an article in a in a magazine called Sever about a guy by the name of Ed Mitchell who cooks yeah. whole hog in North Carolina. But, you know, it was in the back of my mind. I kind of knew what it was, but I really didn't. I had no concept of what it was like to eat. And for me, food is about eating. Yeah. You know, it's not that complicated. If I sit down and enjoy a meal and I hook into those flavors and it tells me about culture and heritage and all that mm. kind of stuff. Yeah. I understand that better through eating it than us sitting down and talking for 25 minutes about the, the culture of, you know, slavery in America and how barbecue developed. Yeah, yeah. So you're sitting in this grungy bar in New York City, wondering why the hell you're there. Is that the pivotal moment where you go, 
That's, this is, that this was is what it. I want to do. That was, I, I, I ate this food and, and just fell in love with it. I came back from America. This was maybe 2007, 2008. And decided I've got to learn more about smoking. You know, yeah. it's, it's, for me, it was a hop, skip, and a jump from cooking on charcoal to smoking. Yeah. It's, it's, so it it's, didn't it's, seem that complicated? You thought this is going to be fairly easy? Yeah, fairly easy. It, it wasn't. <laughs> but it, it seems fairly easy at the time. I mean, so we were still in the, before that at Rusk, we used to do specials like we'd get a whole leg of lamb and, and in the dying embers of the coals, we'd wrap it up and put in the coals at the end of the night and pick it out the next day and do, you yep. know, slow roasted lamb. So it was a hop, skip and a jump. But when I came back to Australia, first place you go is, you know, barbecues galore. And at the yeah. time, they didn't even know what I was talking about. I said, I want a smoker and they like gas grill. Yeah. They had a Weber uh, Smoky Mountain, which is like a bullet smoker. It had like a thick layer of dust on it. I think they'd sold one. The guy at the time had something he goes, I don't know how to cook on it. Like nobody's, we never yeah. ever sold them. Um, and I, you know, I, I kind of gave up on it because I couldn't find smokers. And then six months later, I got re-inspired again and got out there and found a guy selling smokers. He was bringing them in from the US. Uh, they weren't compliant. I don't think he had a proper license to bring them in. But I started, so I got this little smoker. It still sits in my back garden. It's a bit rusted out. But I started cooking things on special for the restaurant. So I'll do one uh, pork shoulder for pork yeah. pork. And it, I put it on specials. And as I, the more I'm doing it, the more I'm getting excited by what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, the simplicity and I guess the, the the way of watching the fire and the meat kind of yeah. really appealed to me. Because um, this great, is not a fast process. Is no, it? no. It's a, and this is the thing is like <laughs> – <clears throat> that's that's as a as a as an a la carte chef. That's what we don't understand is that you put it on and you want it you want it to be ready fifteen right. minutes later. You know, it's like where is it? Where, how's it going? You know, and so like I put this on at home and I had uh, temperature probes and thermometers and uh, Yvette was at home and I call her up going, what's the what's the internal temperature <laughs> of the meat? You know, and I'd, as soon as the meat was at the right temperature, I'd, like drop my apron jump in the car, run home, pick up this you know piece of pork, run back to the restaurant, let it rest for dinner service. You know? yeah. And that was kind of the process for, for quite some time. And then, um, so it was becoming more and more entrenched in our specials, I guess. Yeah. And then um, there was one night, I, I woke up at about three o'clock in the morning and I, th I woke Yvette up and I said, oh, I want to open up a barbecue restaurant. You know, at the time we were doing, you know, contemporary dining, con yeah. you know, we at the time, seven or eight years ago, we you had $40 main course prices, which is quite steep even for yeah. then. Um, but it was based off the quality of the meat, I guess. And um, I said, oh, I want to open up a barbecue restaurant. It was three o'clock in the morning as our most of our conversations happened at that time. And um, she said, you know, she said to me, shut up, go back to sleep. Yeah. You know, what are you doing? What are you talking about? How many restaurants now? You got uh, two. Two. You got yeah. a production kitchen. We'll, yes. We can talk about how much you're producing out of that later, but massive amount. Because now yeah. we, you're firmly entrenched yeah. in in, in the, the Australian scene, in the in the American scene as well. I think yeah. you know you're well known. You've written a best-selling book called Temples of Barbecue. So you went on a road trip around America, yes. right? To to do the research to find out. You took the family, right? Yes. You went on what I thought was going to be a eating holiday, but it sounded like it was it would have been a hard one to push through. I mean, you were describing all this food that you were getting through. I want to know if there's a moment, and you have to describe it to me, where you walked into something, a shed or a smoker or you met a person that you just went, I get it. Yep. I understand. I thought I understood with my little smoker in the back garden, yep. but now I get it. Well, my, my first road trip, when we decided to open the restaurant, um, and it was Kansas City barbecue that I had tried at the Chelsea Hotel. Um, and so... Like, that's the only style of barbecue I tried, and barbecue is quite regional, as we know now. Um, 
Kansas City style barbecue. So I'm like, are we going to go to Kansas City and I'm going to go and discover more about this before we open the restaurant? This was our first barbecue road trip. Took the kids, went along, landed in Kansas City. It was minus 20 degrees Celsius. It was dead. Our hotel overlooked the freeway and there was like no cars. I'm like, where the hell are we? Um, because it'd been its cold snap and everything yeah. had shut down. So we got in a cab and we went to um, a barbecue restaurant and there were people there and we walked in and the whole place kind of just stopped and everyone looks at you because they don't recognize you because it's this little local joint <laughs> and it was one of these little local joints called Arthur Bryant's and um, they, uh, Arthur Bryant was one of the godfathers of Kansas City style barbecue and I walked in there and the whole place stops, right? And so we sit the kids down there quite little at the time you join the queue up the front, you go in line to order, and as you're walking along, you can see through the glass, you can see their smoke pits, and you can smell the smoke, and you can see people eating very casually, a casual style of diner, mm. if you would put it that way. And um, as you walk along, there's a lady at the counter, and uh, she's taking orders, and then you walk along the line, you pay her, and you pick up your food, and you walk back out. So, you know, and there's like cops there, and there's a medical, um, emergency medical people, and what I've learned subsequently is if you see the police, the taxi drivers, the ambulance guys, or the army guys out the front and they're inside eating, that's probably a good place to go. Yeah. Uh, the emergency medical people, and they know exactly where to eat. And I got, we sat down, I got a burnt end sandwich, a pile of chips and some ribs, and I was absolutely blown away. I mean, it was just, it was so much m- different to what I'd eaten in New York, which was more upmarket, more fine dining. And not, not that you'd call it fine dining by any way, shape or form, but this was just a little shack on the side of the road uh, with brick ovens doing wood-fired meats. And um, again, just blown away by the simplicity of what it was. I think more so than anything else, as a, as a trained chef, and I use that term not in a bad way, but you learn to do more and more with food. You don't learn to do less and less. And this was just meat, salt, smoke, bread, done. And the, 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 the flavors were just amazing yeah. based on the simplicity of what it was. Can you describe and any of those flavors? Does it, does it make any sense, sense when you describe them? You know, when I'm eating a good piece of barbecue, piece of smoked meat, when you pick it up to, to take a bite and you're smelling the smoke and you're smelling the meat and you're not smelling one over the other. The smoke is a seasoning that you can smell. It's a scent that comes up. So you're smelling it just before you take that bite. And that, you know, the, the texture of the meat and the flavor of that, you know, that brisket burnt end, which is what Kansas City is known for, is the brisket mm. burnt ends. And that, that it's like beef candy. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm addicted to them. I can't stop eating So when you them. say burnt ends, because yes. not everybody knows what burnt ends are. Sure. What are they? Okay, so the burnt ends come off the beef brisket. The beef brisket is made up of two muscles. You have the flat and then you have the deckle, which is the fatty part of the brisket. Yeah. The fatty part of the brisket is then cooked longer and rendered down, and that's where the burnt ends come from. Originally, the burnt ends being a Kansas City city thing, the burnt ends, that, that um, fatty deckle was only for the staff. They never used to serve that. Right. Because, you know, the customers, nobody wants fatty food, of course. Yeah. So that was a staff meal, and then they became known for that. And then, you know, once a week they put on the burnt ends, and then all of a sudden it became like, 
now everybody we've got to, wanted to burn now we ends. want burn ends because it's, it's like beef candy you know yeah how long was the first road trip the, the first road trip i think we did about two weeks uh we killed the kids they were young and and honestly we were eating two or three barbecue joints a day and they were put off barbecue for a long time did you have your that. cholesterol done before and when you came home just take two lipitor the next day <laughs> <laughs> so did you in, in your travels have you met a character that 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 has stood out that kind of I met several characters I mean there was one place um, called Elsie's Barbecue in Kansas City and the guy is a big black guy and uh, he's maybe six foot four and he has his office chair in the restaurant and we were there the day that uh, the whole Lance Armstrong uh, drug taking thing happened Tour de France Tour de yeah. France and the, the, he was being interviewed on Oprah we're sitting in this restaurant it was freezing cold outside and the characters in this restaurant were like, that boy, he shouldn't be doing that. You know, and it was just like the whole, re- the, the thing that I find is about community and the whole restaurant was involved in this conversation. We just sat there just soaking this in. It was just quite something, you know, and you don't want to get too involved. You don't want to be a smart ass about it. Yeah. Um, but it was just culturally, it was just quite something. And where just was this guy? The- what do you mean his office chair was in the restaurant or like in the middle of the yeah, restaurant? Well, or- you know, like you'd have your, your big, uh, big office chair that sits up with the arms and stuff like that. It was in the restaurant. He has a table in the restaurant yeah. under the TV and that's where his office is, you know, and he's just lounging <laughs> in his office chair doing whatever he's doing, you know, and, um, you know, but it was the, 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 that sense of community in the restaurant and the same when the, the, when I first walked into that first barbecue restaurant, uh, in Kansas City where the whole place stops and everyone looks at you. It's like a community of people uh, that all know each other. It's a big barbecue family. Yeah. Coming up next, we find out more about Lance's love of the barbecue. Plus, I give you my tips and tricks on how to introduce a little bit of that smoky flavour at home. There's this whole competition thing yes. in the States, right? And actually, some good money can be made if you're on the competition circuit, yes, I've heard. Yeah. But, but what, and, and these people travel from all over the country. They've got their kit, their caravans, their smoker on wheels. I mean, what is that all about? It, it happens out here as well. It's been going for about three or four years here now. And we've competed uh, every year. We've done something in that. Um, and it's, it's about, I guess, taking your um, classic style restaurant barbecue and upping it a notch and make it becomes a competition sport. Yeah. Um, competition barbecue is not something that you want to eat on a regular basis because it is so amped up. The flavors are right. amped up. They call it one bite barbecue. So when you hand in your barbecue um, and there's six other people being judged on the table, say you're doing ribs, your judge is going to eat about two and a half kilos worth of meat in a competition, and they're not going to eat like five bites. You have one bite of the ribs, and you compare it to the other uh, five. So you've got to make an impact, Impact. So you're making super spicy, salty, sweet, tender, you know, big flavors, you know, and so that's what we put forward. And, um, you know, as uh, this is where I guess the chef training comes into a little bit because your timings and your drive to get a consistent product yeah. that was drilled into me from day one cooking yeah. was that, you know, this is what you got to do and you've got to check your seasonings and you've got to check the taste. And you, I mean, the one, probably the one most important thing I learned cooking was taste your food. You know, yeah. taste what you're doing. Taste it before you serve it. Check it, check it, check it, you yeah. know. And you become essentially, you, you're putting things together, but you're a taster. Yeah, that's you know, right. And you, you, you're you making sure that your flavors are correct going forward. And so that's what the for us the competition stuff was. In the last probably six weeks now, or, or April or whatever it was, we've done maybe three competitions. 
Okay. So so these stories about people sleeping with their barbecue and, uh, you know, so they've got their – do you do all of that stuff? Yeah, we I do mean, all of that stuff. We I mean, is it a 24-hour 24 ex- 24 exercise, a 48-hour yeah, exercise? Yeah, well, we probably uh, 48 hours. We bump in uh, normally on a Saturday morning. I don't like to leave my gear there the night before, but you usually can. So Saturday morning, 5.30, 6 a.m., we're there. Uh, we set everything up. Generally, there's a festival of events, barbecue events that happens yeah. around the competition. Um, people come in normally 10, 30, 11 o'clock, yeah. and then we go overnight. So our long cook stuff, we do all the preparation on the Saturday. They normally have ancillary competitions and so not grand championship competitions on the Saturday. So you might compete in those because, you know, you've got to eat lunch. So you might as well cook something. Very obsessed, isn't it? There's, there's that society. There's obviously there's gatekeepers. There's, uh, there's enthusiasts. There's newbies, you know. So there are new people that are just starting out. Is it a supportive community? Is it a, a community of many different people? What, what, what does it represent for you? Well, it's, it's barbecue family. And generally what happens is everyone's really friendly up until the competition starts. <laughs> and, you know, like, for example, on the, um, at the Yaks Festival in Melbourne, on the Saturday night before the main event, we had like a potluck dinner. Everybody brought a dish. Right. Everybody gets together. Everybody has a few drinks. But when you go back to your tent to start cooking for the competition, we don't talk to anybody. Right. I'm like, just walk, keep walking. Don't come in. Like the newbies will come and hang out and go, what are you doing there? I'm like, I'm cooking. Go away. You know? <laughs> and um, but, and as, soon as, as soon as the last dish is turned, in everyone's helping everybody out so like when when uh when you were cooking behind one of our mates in perth you know and we're in the tents next to each other so he'd serve chicken i'd serve chicken and then we'd swap a couple of tasters you know and um you know he served me ribs when he gave me his ribs i'm like you're an absolute bugger because those ribs are like the winning ribs and i I hate you because they were so good so good you know they were like but he will never tell you his secret i presume well, I never, asked, I never asked him. I'm guessing maybe, you know, we don't. We generally don't hide what we do. I'm not going to give you the exact recipe, but yeah. our techniques are there to be seen, you know. Um, but they were like a pork lollipop, you know, pork meat on a rib stick, you know. I love was, that. They were, and they were just candied ribs. I was, I've never had ribs like that Is before. It, does this community stretch beyond, yeah, I mean, obviously you, you're – entrenched in the Australian scene does this yes. you know do you, do you can you ring somebody up in Kansas City and say have you got a, a bed I can sleep in I'm coming over well I've been offered I mean people have said to me if you want to come over and cook we'll loan you smokers we'll help set you up we'll do all of that kind of stuff I mean we've been lucky enough to travel in the states quite a bit um, I've done uh, my judging uh, my Kansas City judging certification we did in the US yeah and we've been very lucky because when we got to the US for that first barbecue trip people took us under their wing you know I met, um, uh, when I first arrived, they had the Kansas City Barbecue Society dinner. It was like the 20th anniversary dinner. And you walk in and you're Australian. And the first thing they said to me was, oh, do you know Bob? I'm like, who the hell is Bob? <laughs> Bob's, Bob's the other Australian, you know? And I'm like, do you know Bob? I'm like, never, I've just arrived here, you know? Just because he's Australian. I mean, it's a big country. I've never met Bob, you know? They're like, you guys, you guys got to get together, you know? And I'm like, all right, who the hell is this Bob guy, you know? Yeah. And, um... Uh, Bob at the time was uh, the partner of Carolyn Wells, who's there. So, so Bob actually exists. Bob, Bob, Bob was a real person. <laughs> uh, he came from New South Wales. He's uh, passed away, unfortunately. But okay. at the time, we met Bob and his partner was Ka- uh, Carolyn Wells, who is the yep. founding member of the Kansas City Barbecue Society. She's the executive director. And I had breakfast with them and I sat down and they're like, you want to do barbecue in Australia? You've got to go and meet this guy and you've got to go and meet this guy. And that was so generous. And this is when I come back to the sense of barbecue family. I could never have done it without 
their help and without the help of the people that they put me in touch with because, you know, these people give you a push along, you know, a head start and they, they're very generous and very open. I was no competition to any of them. I'm opening up in Australia. I'm not opening up next yeah. door to them. And they took me in and they walked me through their restaurants and showed me how they did stuff and showed me how they held stuff and showed me how they served meats and everything else. And so, you know, my attitude is I couldn't have gotten there without their help and therefore I'm going to help people that come to me. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's generosity and there's also, but the, I mean, you've got to remember that this is the Midwest and the South. They're very generous, but don't cross them because if yeah. you do cross them, you're dead forever. You Bless your heart. It's interesting. For me, it's interesting as a chef because I think there are a lot of chefs that actually uh, really don't enjoy food on a Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. They don't enjoy food on a on a personal level, on a on a level where they enjoy cooking at home. Like a lot of chefs will cook at work, but they don't cook at home. And I find that a very strange thing. And then I look and I look at something like you know the barbecue fraternity, and most of these people, especially in in you know in broader terms, are just passionate amateurs yes. and obsessed about meat, about certain cuts of meat, about a process of brining and seasoning and cooking low and slow they do it just because they absolutely love it you know does it are they particular types of people well there are some really strange i mean they they shit stirring buggers you know <laughs> you'll go up to them and you'll, they'll go um you know uh what do you do with the meat and the guy will go don't tell anybody but like i cooked it a week ago and i'm just going to microwave it to serve it you know and they'll, they'll just see if they can get you going you know they've yeah. got a real sense of humor but i agree i mean i think there's a lot of chefs that i've met that actually don't like food uh they get caught up in the process rather than the eating of the food and um being a passionate amateur you your love is for the food i guess and i mean any job that you do 18 hours a day you end up hating at some point yeah. and then you've got to find your love for that i mean I, i've been through that as well if you're working 100 hours a week cooking yeah. You may not love the food so much. You know, you're trying to get through the day and you're trying to process and do all your prep and all that stuff that you need to yeah. do, but there's no love for food. And, you know, it's very hard to find a love for food when you're working with it 800 hours a week. So on your travels, on the road trip, do you think there's one place, and it'll be a hard, it's a hard question that encapsulates the essence, the very essence of barbecue and maybe something that you learnt from eating there that, that stays yeah. with you. Absolutely. I'll come back to Skylight Inn in North Carolina and it's whole hog. And it's simple because they're doing a whole hog coleslaw and uh, cornbread. And a lot of people, it was a Sunday afternoon and a lot of people were coming in, getting a takeaway pound of whole hog. And I ate this uh, hog with the, um, with the crackling chop back through it. And simplicity is the one thing that stands out to me and, and we're in a small town with community and again a small town in the middle of nowhere and there's just a line out the door continually not necessarily eating there but getting takeout what are you doing for sunday we're getting barbecue in in carolina barbecue means pig uh, if you want smoked chicken it's called chicken it's, mm. uh, and if you want if you go up to the country and <laughs> go, I, want I want barbecue, barbecue. you're getting yeah. whole you're getting pig <laughs> which is i'm fine with that and um for me it was the simplicity of the the flavors and the style of service and that sense of community mm. for me is the one thing that stands out um you know we we tend to try and make things complicated this was as simple as it gets simple flavors simple service and simple menu you know, and it just it encapsulated the whole town. 
because you know it looked it seemed to me like the whole town was there for their Sunday well, you'd lunch. You'd see the same people every week, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, I mean, we'd be so. there and lining up and going, "Hey, Lance, you know how you going? What, what's happened?" This Which week? brings me back to that first place in Kansas City. You walk in, the whole place stops and looks at you because who who's this guy and what are they doing here? You know? <laughs> yeah. Could you think of anything better? to be doing now that you've discovered this in your life? Look, I, food, it's, I I love food, Mm. you know, and barbecue is something I'm very passionate about. I I love the sense of, you know, fire and meat and time, you know, and it it slows down the process for me a lot, but it's, it's like making bread, similar kind of process where, you know, you've got to let it prove and you've got to watch and you've got to watch those points. It's like making a salami, you know, you mince your meat, you make your stuffing, you make your mix, then you've got to dry it and you've got to do all of that kind of stuff. So it brings me back very much to my roots of cooking. Yeah. The fact that I love that artisanal style, I'm, you know, beautiful fine dining food looks very pretty, uh, but if it doesn't have a flavor, it's missing. You know, I ate, um, uh, one of my trips in the U.S., we ate at a restaurant called Per Se yeah. uh, in New York at the time. It was number four in the world. And it was, I mean, it was an exceptional meal. It was, you couldn't fault a thing, but it had no soul. Yeah. And then on the way out, we stopped in San Francisco and I went to Chez Panis and ate in their restaurant there, and their, their cafe. And it was just so far beyond what I'd eaten. It wasn't, it was fine dining, but it wasn't that, that level of, um, I'm not saying level of care, because the level of care was there. It was more about the freshness of the yeah. produce and making the food taste of what it was. I mean, I had a cauliflower salad at Chez Panis that actually tasted of cauliflower and blew me away. It was like I was eating cauliflower for the first time. And for me, that's what food is about. Mm. It's about coming back to the real flavors of what it is uh, rather than trying to make it something that it's not. And I think for many years as a chef, you, we, we try, I try to put make it into something else. I want to add ingredients and now I'm taking ingredients out. I'm trying to make it as simple as possible. For me, it's about meat, smoke and time for the barbecue. And it comes back to, you know, if I'm eating a pasta, so it's very similarly. Uh, it's one of those dishes I can never eat out because, you know, there's always too much stuff in it you know for me if i get a pasta olio and it's just pasta olive oil garlic chili and some cheese i'm so happy Happy. with that you know as soon as people start adding you know uh, you can add everything too i mean rocket prawn people expands and expands and expands and it comes more is better is yeah more is better and i think as chefs you want to do that you want your customers to go well it's it's value for money you know and i think we were caught in that because you know value for money is in the flavor and everything else and but people will look at a pasta dish with nothing in it essentially pasta olio and go i'm not going to pay 15 but i think listening to what you say though value for money isn't in in the experience i mean the idea of going to a a restaurant where the owner's sitting in his you know, in his office chair and everybody's shouting at the TV and passing comment and that kind of community. I I couldn't think of, can you think of a restaurant like that in Australia? Uh, no, I, I, the, the one thing that I see in the US a lot is that you get single uh, item restaurants where yep. they will sell one thing. And you get this not only in America, but in, in Europe in and in Asia and everywhere else where I mean, there's a restaurant called Scott Parker's Barbecue. It's in Lexington, Tennessee, on the side of the road in a small town that has like 2,000 people in it. And they cook three whole hogs every day, and they're sold out by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I went in there, and there were people from Alabama who'd like driven across one state to come for lunch, you know. <laughs> and, they, and, and so you get and you get Peter Luger's Steakhouse in Brooklyn, and they, they're doing dry-aged sirloin on the bone, 
and you can get it for you know, like one, two, or three people, and that's it. And they yeah. do variations of that, and mm-hmm. they they focus on one single item, one single process, and try and do it as good as possible. And pe- and generally, I find like Melbourne, Australia, people get bored with that really quickly. So your temples of barbecue book is not all about barbecue. It's not all about meat. Yes. There's some amazing sweets, desserts. I think yes. like cream pie and all yes. this. It's soul it's- food. Soul food, right? Yeah. So there's a little bit of an obsession with that. I just want you can pick one thing, yeah, but sure. if you if you could only eat that one thing, you know, for the next month, what would it be? <laughs> sweet treat, a sweet treat. Um, chess pie. Chess pie is like a pantry pie or pantry chest pie, um, where everything you you need to cook is in your pantry. So you know, you got your eggs, your cream, your your um, uh, cornmeal, that kind of stuff, and it's adaptable. So whatever you've got is what you would use, and it's like a buttermilk pie, and I, I just love that. I love custard pies and that kind of yeah. stuff. So, so when um, when you cut a piece of, ch- do you call it chest, chest pie? Chest pie. When you cut a piece of chest pie, what are you looking for? And you know, well, like in the. I mean, any any kind. Has it got to be warm? Has it got to be you no, know? Has look, it got to be soft to crumble? Is I it- love pie, and um, for me, pie it's about the, the pastries or the crumb or the crust is part of it. You know, it's, it's, it could be a biscuit crust, it could be a pastry crust. Mm. Um, you know, coming back to the old school uh, fine dining cooking, you know, in in similarity, the, the old school French lemon tart yeah. would be the reminds me is probably one of the closest fine dining things to chess pie that you get because it's a custard and it's set and you, your pastry and your custard's got to be just set and it can't be you don't want it warm you want it just set at room temperature but you don't want it cold from the fridge and you don't want the pastry to be you know gluggy or anything else because the second day that chess pie is no good you've got to eat it like within you know two hours of cooking it yeah which wouldn't be a problem if you put it in front of us. Not at all. I gather. <laughs> not, not a, never had a problem eating pie. I don't think I've ever had a problem eating pie too. Been absolutely lovely to talk to you. And I think what's nice about it is just getting a little bit deeper into the, the soul, to the very essence of what barbecue is about. And when you talk about food, I just, you know, I start salivating. And you're absolutely right. I, th- I think as I've got older, I constantly think about all the pretty dishes I've eaten and, and a lot of ugly, very tasty dishes. And I go ugly, tasty every time. And yep. that's what it's about. It doesn't have to be ugly. It can be pretty and tasty. Yeah. But often the, the prettiness in food overtakes the, the kind of essence and the soul of it. And what you're talking about is that very essence and very soul. And it's, it, and it's delicious. What, it's what makes us tick, isn't it? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. The, uh, for me, it's all about soul food and comfort food, I guess. Yeah. I remember a, a beef pepper pot pie we used to do with the uh, little boiled potatoes in yeah. there. And that was also one of the tastiest things to eat. You know, yeah. It's simple, but it's good flavors all the way through. Brilliant stuff. So time now for my tips and tricks. And how do we smoke something at home? Well, there's a couple of easy ways. I'll give you a few ideas. First of all, if you want to go to your local barbecue shop, they now stock lots of different types of wood chips. So cherry wood, apple wood, much more choice than there ever used to be. You can actually buy what's called a little smoke box where you can put the wood chips into, seal it up, stick it on your barbecue, pop the lid down, turn the gas on. And as the wood chips start to heat up, on your barbecue, obviously they'll start to smoke. So you can pop things in there, chicken, steaks, all sorts of things, and you can smoke while you cook. But one of my favorite things to do is actually tea smoke something like chicken or fish or lamb. And to do this, you need a heavy wok with a good lid and a wire rack that fits inside the wok. And what I do first of all is take a piece of tin foil, lay it inside the wok, and then I sprinkle in a couple of cups of rice, 
maybe about four tablespoonfuls of tea and then some other aromatics if you want. So you can put in things like star anise or fennel seed or cinnamon. You can also put in some lemon slices. And essentially, you set that over a high flame until the heat builds up to a point that those ingredients then start to smoke, particularly the tea. And then what you do is you take your chicken, pop it on that rack, put it inside that wok over the smoking embers of tea and rice, and then put that tight-fitting lid on top. If you don't have a tight-fitting lid, just wrap it up in foil. Turn the gas off, and now what's happening, you've got this cold, smoky environment, and that smoke is then going to flavour that chicken beautifully. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes. You can let it cool down completely in there, and then you would roast that chicken as you would roast a normal chicken. And what you'll get is a delicious, slightly smoky roast chicken, absolutely next level and something that you might want to try next time you have friends around. A Plate to Call Home is a Podcast One production produced by Dave Swalensky and executive producer is Jamie Show. Audio production by Nick Slater and special thanks to Imogen Thomas for the research. Talk to you next time.